Sometimes perception does not match our reality. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Sometimes you have a perspective of something and you start looking at things and, and you come, wow, I really thought it looked this way. I thought this was that. And, and you learn something and, and it's completely different. You know, we've all been touched by the worker shortages, haven't you? <laughs> Worker shortages. I have to. I'm seventh in line at the grocery. I'm. I'm. I'm an hour and a half before I even get my, you know, my order taken by my waitress. My favorite restaurant closed down because they didn't have enough workers. In the early, in the early part of this, there was uh, there were theories put forth about why this was happening and. Some of those might have been true a year and a half ago. Uh, the problem being that, that those theories now, that perspective doesn't really hold up. Some of those things that, that people were blaming it on doesn't, aren't really a situation yet. So, uh, so a statistic I was looking at really made me think. I was like, wow, okay, that's interesting. And I started doing some research and, and noticed that across a couple of things. Here's a statistic that, that I haven't really seen connected to worker shortages. Did you know that, that uh, prior to two years ago, about 3% of children were homeschooled? And uh, currently, right around now, it's about 11% of children in the United States are homeschooled. There's reasons for that. Uh, some people, I guess, just decided they like it. Some people didn't like the material once they were seeing it in their own home. Whatever the case. And so some women have, have decided that the extra money that they get from, from their job is not worth the type of education that they felt that their kids were getting or not getting in that sense. And so, so they've dedicated. Now, that is perfectly admirable. What does it mean? Well, it means that there's... Women, and, and by the way, most of the, most of the people that men, most of men are back at work, by the way. It's women that have lagged. And they, they report that about 4 to 5% of women are not back in the workplace. I, I don't know how that works, how you have 11% more or 8% more that are uh, of children that are being homeschooled other than to say that 8 is twice four, and it's primarily the women, which is half of the parents. So, so I, I don't know. I'm not a, a, a statistics cruncher extraordinaire. But I know that that's at least, at the very minimum, that's a significant part of the workforce that, that's absent is these homeschool moms. More power to you. We don't need all those restaurants. I'd, I'd rather have our kids educated in, in moral situations than... than wait an, a half hour less for my food. Oh, one's, one's significantly more valuable to our country's operation. I mean, is, is, are, are we going to really die if we don't have quite as many greasy heart attack restaurants in, in the United States of America? Probably not. Now, within this group, however, of women who are staying at home and, and various things, there's one subculture. Now, I want to talk about perspective continue to talk to, about perspective is there's this group uh, and uh, they're kind of amusing to look at they're kind of scary kind of actually in a way uh, but they're called trad wives which just the term 
is kind of creepy. Uh, it, but it's just short for traditional wives. And the problem is, is if you, if you kind of look at a, take a look at some of these pictures, you can see that they all have kind of the same uh, image in their brain. Where did they get this image? That, that, you know, uh, like we just look at that and you just go, that's not realistic. What, what's going on here? You got your matching Sunday. I'm, I'm sure that lady's wearing high heels, iron in her husband's clothes. That's not real. Now, some of you, some here, where did they get this idea from? Where, where do you think this, this type of dress, we have to wear this and look like this and, and, you know, wearing our Sunday best and our strings of pearls cooking, uh, cooking Sunday dinner. That, that's not realistic, right? Well, well, there you go. They got it from 50s and 60s TV shows. Somehow they've idealized this, and, and this is their perspective of what a traditional wife is because that's when life was perfect. Now, they, like me, weren't around then. Most of these girls are, are in the age group of 18 to 30-ish, early-ish, 30s, something like that. Uh, and so they, they're really upset with feminism. They, they don't like to where feminism has gone. Okay, fine. I'm not against that. Uh, I think, I, I, again, I just said, I think it's, it's more noble that we have women inputting time into their, to their young children than not. Uh, we need that more than, uh, than women who are in a restaurant or whatever they're, wherever they're going to go, or even an engineer, whatever they're doing. We, need, we certainly aren't going to hurt in this country because children are having more input with their mothers. Well, the problem, however, is that in this specific case, these girls have a perspective that's not accurate. None of you ever watched your mother iron your, your, your dad's clothes in high heels and pearls and matching ribbons and, and you know, her Sunday best. It's, just, it's not reality. And quite frankly, these women, well, my guess is that they're all girls that got shunted around from and shuttled from, from soccer practice to softball practice to violin practice to this practice to that practice and never had a chance just to play dress up. And that's what they're doing now. And they're probably going to do that for a couple of months, each of them, and they're going to like move on with their life and say, my, my feet are sore. How in the world? Uh, this is craziness. So it has longevity problems. Some of these girls are already leaving this. Now, I don't know if, if, if in mass they're going back to, to the workplace. Maybe that'll happen too. But I'm telling you that a couple of them are into this and they're already rolling out of bed in their sweatpants, you know, and, and turning on Oprah or whatever. You know, they're they're, they're going to be, they're tired of this ribbons and pearls and doing my makeup for three hours to go iron some clothes. They're done with that, I'm telling you. When we don't have the right definitions and the right perspectives, it leads to, per, to, to longevity problems. And so it's important for us, we're going to be looking at a different character trait today to make sure that, that what is internal is based on the right perspective because that's going to display for everybody. We're talking about today the word subjection. And the word subjection is interesting because there's a lot of discussion about the word. 
And specifically, the difference between the word subject and the word submit. Subject is to force under authority, and to submit is to voluntarily yield control. And there's a reason why people, and we're going to get to that in just a second, why there's a big attention paid between the, the difference by, by religious people uh, comment on these things and, and post things on their blogs and whatever. Why is there such a difference? Well, first of all, we need to know that there's not much of a difference. In fact, there's no difference. The, the Greek word, at least, hupotasso, means to arrange under. That's what it means. Now, <clears throat> the first word, actually, the first verse I'm going to refer to is not in our New Testament. It's actually a Hebrew word. Hebrew has more definitions, and that's largely because in the Hebrew world, they had more more words to to speak about or more contextual things to speak about arranging under subjection slavery was a part of their their culture the hebrew culture and and conquering and enforcing people to submit was that's not really a part of christianity and so the bible doesn't really only use one word uh hupotasso but I want to look at, I want to begin, because the, there is one word in the Hebrew that, I, that kind of relates to, to this word in the New Testament. In Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea. Uh, this word subdue is kind of like this word to subject. Subdue it, subject it, be, be in authority, force. And, and so... <clears throat> The first, uh, the, way, the way Greek will work um, is that there are three voices. A lot of times we do this by adding words into, to, to make things more clearly in English. But in, in Greek, they just changed the form of the word and they added endings to it. <clears throat> so, so they had what was called an active verb. Do this. Subdue it. Okay, that's an active verb. I'm subduing. I'm I'm subjecting something. That's, we saw that. Subject means to force under or compel under authority. There is a passive. Now let's go to the New Testament and see how this works. Uh, in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, it says, He went down with them and came to Nazareth. This is talking about Jesus. And he was subject to them. Talking about Joseph and Mary. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And so here's this passive. This is the condition of Jesus who is being under authority. The condition of being under authority. I just... Stating things how they are. He's under authority. He's a subject. Right. Now, Mary and Joseph didn't force him. And that kind of gets to the, the last one. James chapter 4, verse 7. <clears throat> the other tense is what we call middle tense. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee, flee from you. And so middle voice has this, this idea of doing something for oneself or to oneself. And that's a part of the verb. And so here he's placing himself under authority. And that's, by the way, how he came to be under Joseph and Mary's authority. Uh, is that Jesus uh, voluntarily placed himself and we voluntarily place ourselves under God's authority. We call that submitting. And so what we see is the word submit 
and to subject are the same word. That's kind of important because as we talk about the position of Christ, where is Christ and what's his position right now? Well, when you look at these two words and what people think about these two words, a lot of what we get is, I've talked about before, the nice gospel. People like the nice gospel. They don't want a Jesus who's in charge and forcing people to do things and subjecting people. No, they want the nice gospel, which is where I'm, 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 I've got, I'm voluntarily submitting. And that's true. We do voluntarily submit. We make a choice. God doesn't force me to be a Christian. But it's a little bit of a straw man argument when, when people do this because they're looking for the nice gospel. They don't want the God that compels people to do things and requires people to do things. I'm going to do this out of the kindness of my heart. I'm going to be moral or virtuous or, or whatever. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21-22. He says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not a removal of dirt from the uh, body, but as an appeal of God to, for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been made subject to him. Well, the whole structure of human affairs has been put underneath Christ. They have been subjected to him. It's not that just we're nice enough to give it to him. It's been subjected to him, and we weren't involved in the decision-making process. All lines of authority, and we're going to look at that closer. Angels. Well, what about angels? They're, they're not, they don't have to do with humans. Yes, they do. They were created for the purpose of being messengers for God's highest creation, which is humanity. We'll see this a little bit more in a second. I want to talk about the process of subjection as it relates to Christ. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 10, he says, Have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held onto, but he emptied himself and took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. And so God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and underneath the earth. It was, a, it was a state of mind that Jesus had to, to voluntarily submit. It was an internal character that was visible. Now, this is important. He did not give up equality with God as the state of existence. He is who he is. He gave up this, the condition of living in that form of God. We are under Christ's jurisdiction whether we like it or not. You should understand that. This is interesting. Refusal to acknowledge his authority is only going to produce pain later. You are subject now. Well, <clears throat> I want to uh, notice, however, uh, the ways Christ was subject. 
Christ was subject, first of all, we, we, we read this earlier, Christ was subject to family, was he not? We talked about being uh, subject to Joseph and Mary and how, how that was voluntary. Well, he wasn't just subject to family. That's one line of authority that God establishes. He was subject also to religion. Matthew chapter 5, 17, he says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. So, so this other line of authority that comes down through religion to man, he was also subject to voluntarily. Government, John chapter 19, verse 11, Jesus answered and said, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who has delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So Jesus was subject to both Hebrew and to Roman government authorities. This is another line that God has, has created for the purpose of mankind. Not, not against mankind, but he subjected us to a line of authority to establish order. Well, what authority is Christ's? Well, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. After all those things are over, he's been subjected. He's now been exalted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You didn't give it to me. We didn't submit that to him. God gave it to him. All lines of authority run through Christ now. Ah, uh, but here's a, here's a kicker. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. He says, You made him a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Again, God does this for Christ, not man. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. However, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Now, reality is not always visible. We've talked about that. This is the idea. What we see is not reality. And it can be deceiving. All things are subject to Christ, period. But we just don't see it that way. Because we see people rebel against Christ. And we see people uh, mock God openly in the world around us. We don't see the subjection. It feels like things are spiraling out of control. God says, I think I've got this. It's under control. It's subject. They just don't know it yet. There's going to come a day where they realize that this whole time I had everything under control and it's going to be a little bit too late for them. When we say, oh, you'll hear people say, oh, I've got to defend Christ or I've got to defend the church. Okay, there's a way to do that and there's a way that that's accurate. If I'm defending Christ in terms of, of speaking on his behalf, that's something we should be doing. We should be speaking. But, but people take this like a, almost a militaristic way. Like, like, like we've got to argue about Christ and we've got to be in people's faces about Christ. We've got to defend the truth. Okay. We need to declare the truth, but Christ can handle himself. Christ is an authority over all the lines that lead to mankind. So let's talk about the unpopular tasks of subjection. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 15, he says, Be subject 
for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it's to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise for those who do good. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, notice right at the beginning that the inside character illustrates or is illustrated through the behavior. That subjection is going to silence people when it's, when it's visible. The character becomes the behavior. But I want you to notice that, first of all, we begin with government. This is what Christ was subject to, and now this is something we're required to do. All levels, right? It doesn't make a difference if you agree with how the, how the level of government or whatever particular uh, official got their position. You know, Paul wasn't running around saying, hashtag, not my emperor. I don't agree with him. He's not a moral person. But it's also all policy. He says every human institution. Now, there is an exception to that. But we don't have the right to, to just say, well, I don't agree with this policy. I don't like it. So I'm not going to do it. There is an exception. The high priest questioned him. Acts chapter 5, verse 27 through 29. He says, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name, yet here you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles said, we would have to rather obey God rather than men. There's a line of authority that, that comes down to mankind directly from God. It bypasses everything. This is equivalent to a foreman on your job or, or a manager. He's giving you something, that, that, a task for you to do. And while you're in the, in the middle of doing that, the owner of the company comes in and says, I want you to do this. Well, well, what are you going to do? No. The foreman told me to do this? No. He bypassed the lines of authority and came directly to you. And, and this is the way this works. God says, Christ comes down, he says, listen, this is the line of authority that I have. I have this for you to do. This is moral. This is scriptural. It's breathed by God. These are directions breathed by God. No man has the right to contradict this. And in that, you say what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, listen, you can punish me. And God can protect me if he wants. I, I, don't, I can't control any of that. This is what I can control, what I am going to do. And that's what Peter says here. We're going to have to obey God. He is the ultimate line of authority, and you'll be held accountable for how you have used the authority that you're given. Understand that. All things are subject to him. And he's going to handle how people in this world use the authority that they've been given. In marriage, what we don't like, oh, we don't like this passage. The eyes roll as soon as we, we read these verses. It says, Likewise be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. For this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, even calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Again, notice that the internal, this is the, the primary point, that the internal character of the wife is visible to a man who's not even, you know, in favor of this life. Now, this Christian life she's leading, 
But you remain subject. Now, again, this is not going to... She is not told to give up her Christianity. That's a direct line. Her religion is a line of authority established to Christ. And he's, he's encouraging them to be Christian. So obviously he's not saying if your husband says you, you can't be Christian, then you have to obey that. No, he's saying, but you're going to do that. And, and in any other way that is not a requirement of, of you contradicting me, then you're going to be subject. And when they see that character as it comes out in your behavior, you will eventually have a good chance at winning them. And we all get sidetracked and get off into discussions about Sarah calling her husband Lord. That's not what this text is about. That is a distraction. Because you know, uh, people like, oh, I've got to call my husband Master? That ain't happening. No, that's only in you know, 1960s TV shows. Um, and in Sarah. But that's not what Peter was saying. Peter was saying, listen, this is the depth of character that she had. She went so far in her subjection to do this. This was the way that she addressed Abraham out of her reverence. He's trying to get, her, get the women to understand what reverence is and that they need to have the character that Sarah had, not necessarily the same, uh, the same manifestation, but you need to do things that, that let your husband know that you have placed yourself in subjection. First Peter chapter five, and some discussion over this as well. First Peter chapter five, verse five says, likewise you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Look again, the internal character that he expects, humility towards one another, is going to be visible in subjection. Now, the, the discussion is often over whether this is talking about just young people in general towards the older people, or is this talking about the elders of the church? And do older people who are not elders, need to be subject to elders. So, so there's a lot of running around and, and trying to figure out what this means. Well, it's true that just in general, young people should be respectful of older people. But this chapter starts out talking about elders, the, the church office. It's about lines of authority. And this is one of the lines of authority. You have to have order in a church. And so there's elders put in place. And... It's not that younger people are the only ones that need to be subject, that old people can do what they want. You know, I'm not an elder per se, but I'm older, and so I don't have to listen to the elders. That's not what he's saying. It just happens to be a general observation, I think, that when you have people who want to rebel against something or, you know, in some way contradict the leadership, that the problems we have with the elders' authority tends to come from people who think that they're old and outdated and not creative and not in tune or in touch with reality and the modern things that everyone's doing and they're not exciting and the list goes on. And what happens when they do this? Well, we have to have... We need to vote. Oh, we need to do this. We, no one listened to us. No, one, no, one, no one's doing what we want to do. Now, I believe that elders should kind of be aware of 
of opinions in the church. It's it's not a, you know, it's 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 not an elitist thing that that you know they just are, are totalitarian rulers. But when they come together and prayerfully consider a matter and, and say this is the policy and someone gets all bent out of shape, what happens? So often, what happens? Well, we're going to leave. Why? Because they're not doing what we want. That is not subjection. And the lack of submissive character reveals itself. But being subject, when, when you disagree with a policy, that reveals itself too. And shows character. You, Paul, again, only ever once illustrated the need to separate. And it was when a, a church... Just he could they, they could not they would not teach the truth, they weren't gonna to listen to the truth, they were being a disturbance, and so he just said, Listen, I'm gonna to have to take a group of you and we're gonna to have to start over. It was when people tried to bypass a line of authority that was directly to God. It was that truth, it was scripture, it was spiritual, and it went, went past all the lines of authority, and he says, Listen, we've gotta we we've just gotta start again. Always that's the exception. But the last one is interesting. One more. He says in Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, we see the internal character, reverence for Christ. And it is going to reveal itself. However, we have a couple of problems with this verse. First of all, there is no line of authority where I, just randomly, a, a person in the church, am another person's authority. There's, all right, uh, th that's not an established line. How? How does it come? No, we're not talking about church leadership. Just, just you know, the person next to you, I'm your authority. What? you got to submit to me. It's the line of authority. There's no line of authority for this one. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is also difficult is, is how, practically, how do you have a situation where two people are sim simultaneously submitting to each other? It seems like someone's got to win at some point. Well, let's explain this. I'll do it the best I can. First of all, it's not a line of authority. It's about a character. It's about reverence for Christ. And that this reverence for Christ is going to act, have me acting as though there were a line of authority. In other words, this person needs this thing for their spiritual growth. So I'm going to act as though they had the ability to tell me, I need this now. Listen, I have this need. Okay, I'm going to respond to you as though you actually had that authority. And I'm going to give this up, or I'm going to spend this time, or I'm, whatever it is that I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to do on your behalf, because you need it. And I'm going to do this for the best interests of the advancement of the church body at whole. And it's not that we are both going to simultaneously submit to each other, but it may be that today... One group needs, and so the other group is going to have to subject themselves. And it might be tomorrow that it's the other way around. We, we don't know. I'm going to need tomorrow. I don't know. And so I'm going to need people to, to yield to me for whatever reason. So what I need you to do today is forget. We were over in Ukraine and uh, 
before returning one one of the particular years we went, I talked with a friend and he'd gone on a, a, a weird diet I'd never heard of. And uh, and I was kind of looking like at the point, that point in time, like I, I could probably have used something like that. And he's like, listen, we did this. It was great. And uh, he said, we cut out every starch and every sugar and everything. And he's like, I, I lost a lot of weight. And, uh, and, and he's like, after time, you slowly bring things back in, but they never come back in as much because you don't have, you lose, after a little while, you actually lose, it's addicting and you lose your taste for it. So, you know, ask our kids what they think about chocolate cake made without flour, made with chickpeas instead. Yeah, they'll, they'll tell you their opinions on that. So it wasn't maybe an overwhelming success, but there were things that, like even still, like, like some some beverages and some, you know, just some some foods that I it's got too much sugar. It's gross. So, so I brought it back, but it, I brought it back more or less at a at a you know a healthier capability, you know, like like a healthier place level and amount. So. I say that to say this, I want you to forget, momentarily, I want you to forget. We'll, we'll bring back some things as they're appropriate, but I want you to forget your heritage. What? As we head into a week where we're going to, you know, here in another week, we're going to be remembering our heritage and the wonderful things about our, you know, uh, Thanksgiving is this time where we kind of all feel colonial, you know? And, uh, well... I want you to forget your heritage. Now, this is hard for me. I, I was raised in the in the heart of of, of the American Revolution, and, and it's, it's like a part of our our DNA, where I'm from. So I want you I want you to forget that. Why Why do I say that? Not because everything about it is wrong, but I want you to think about the words that you associate with 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 that part of your heritage and see if these are ideas that coincide with the concept of Christian subjection. Listen to some of these words, my rights, my independence, resistance, revolution, rebellion, a lot of R's in there. Those words don't have anything to do with what we've talked about. Your rights? My rights. Well, he, we just talked about, listen, you need to give up your rights for other people. I'm not saying it's wrong to, to have the right to freedom of speech, but I'm saying the concept, the, this, this, this little fingerprint of, of our American heritage, it... it, it it's, it becomes a character so deep in us that it manifests itself in how we respond to authority in the church and towards our government and in family. And all these lines of authority that, that God has established, it, it, we kind of bring this, oh, the church needs to be like the, this democracy. No, it doesn't. It's not a democracy. We, we, we've we've got to back up and, and, and take some things off the table and start saying and bring them in. So does this apply? Is this something that I want in my character?
Because people are going to start looking at me and saying, that's what Christianity is? That, that you know, this, this rebellious sense against, against whether it be your government or whether it be your church leaders, you're, you're bad-mouthing people or you're not going to, you're not going to go an extra mile for a person in the church that, that needs something. If, if that's the case, I don't need to do that. They need to just suck it up. These are concepts that are a part of our, our American DNA sometimes. But they are not a part of God's DNA. They're not a part of Christian DNA. Christ illustrated this by giving up his rights in all aspects. And he says, listen, there's going to come a time where, when you're going to get exalted just like me. I, I went through this. I, I put everything down. And then, then Christ was exalted. Then, then, then God gave me this position up here. There's going to come a time where what we see matches the spiritual truth. We don't live in that world yet. There's a bunch of rebellion. There's a bunch of yeah, hostility towards God. We don't see Christ in subjection. But the time is coming when we will. And until then, we don't want to be a part of that rebellion. And it requires Christian subjection.